Dearly beloved of God, our text this morning is from John 4, 27 through 30 and 39 through 42. You'll find this passage on page 889 in the Bible in the chair in front of you. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that, he, that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Jack. All right. It's that time of the year. The spotlight is out. There it is. It's the only lights on stage we really have. Uh, once a year we have this. Uh, no lasers or fog, just the spotlight. Um, I'm going to stop talking about that now. Uh, we're in the last part of our th- three-part mini-series on life in the church. So we talked about why we sing. Last week we talked about why we serve. And today... Mostly because it starts with S, we're talking about why we share. And I'm not talking about sharing our possessions. We're actually talking about sharing our testimony or sharing about Jesus. And so the question for today is why do we share about Jesus? Why? What's the reason that we would talk to other people about Jesus? Why would we talk with Jesus about, uh, talk about Jesus with unbelievers or believers? Why would we talk about Jesus? Uh, To get to the point, um, when we share about God, we're actually not sharing our story. That's not what we're doing. We're we're not the main character of what we're sharing. Sharing our faith, whether that is evangelism with an unbeliever, uh, whether we're sharing a personal testimony with someone who is also a believer, these types of sharing, they actually serve the same purpose. Whether we're talking with a Christian or a non-Christian, we're actually not sharing our story. As I said, we're sharing God's story. We're sharing about how God's story has invaded or interrupted our story. That's what we're talking about. We're not saying, well, here's what it is about me. We're saying, here's what God has done in my life. And that makes sense. When you think about the Bible as a whole, the Bible is not about humans. It's not about us. The Bible, and and every twist and turn, it's God revealing himself. How does he reveal who he is? He interrupts the lives of humans, trying to write their own stories. So here in John 4, we have a story where literally, physically, God in the flesh interrupts someone's story, invades her story. And from this particular narrative, I believe that we can understand better the outcomes of sharing our testimony with believers or sharing about Jesus with non-believers. And so this morning, I want to, before we jump into this uh, particular story, I'd like to pray for us. And so allow me to do that. Father in heaven, we are all guilty of trying to write our own story of which we are the main character, and praise your name. For those of us who are in Christ, you have interrupted that effort. 
You've changed the tra trajectory of our future, our past, our present. And so, Lord, this morning, as we look at this particular scenario where Jesus speaks with a, a particular person, changes their trajectory, I pray that we would find motivation, that we would find excitement in our sharing with others about Jesus. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, of course, we're jumping into the kind of a middle of a story here, kind of the middle and the end of a story. So let me give you some context. Jesus has, uh, for a short time in the book of John, the Gospel of John, been uh, going about his ministry. At this point, he begins to hear some resistance from the Pharisees. So he's now traveling with his disciples to his next location. He decides to take kind of a longer path through a different area of the country called Samaria. Um, as they're traveling, they stop, they need food, they need water. Jesus stops and sits next to this well. He sends the disciples into this town around the middle of the day to buy food. And so while Jesus is sitting at this well, a, a, a character arrives in the story. And this character is a Samaritan, she's a woman, and she's gathering water in the middle of the day. And all three of these things communicate important parts of the story. So let me tell you what these things communicate. And first, let me say, they're all bad things. They all communicate bad things, all right? Um, first, she's a Samaritan. She's a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans, although they shared DNA, they shared genetic ancestry, um, they are notorious for hating one another. Samaritans did not agree with how Jews worshipped or how they led their lives or the things they believed in, and vice versa. There was no love loss between them. They did not get along. Samaritans and Jews, oil and water. So Jesus, a Jew, speaking with a Samaritan woman, problem number one. Second, in this particular context, she's a woman. And you can see this in verse 27. They highlight the fact that, that Jesus, a man, is talking with a woman. Now, we use this word patriarchy all the time, uh, but here in first century Samaria, first century Israel, it was real patriarchy. Women were less than. So for a man to be speaking with a woman, especially one-on-one, -on -one, was scandalous. So you, you get the sense of why verse 27 is written. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Good for the disciples not saying anything, I guess. I don't know. Um, so Jesus, a Jew, speaking with a Samaritan. Jesus, a man, speaking with a woman. This is controversial. But probably most subtle and most important is she is gathering water from the well at noon. In verses 5 and 6, you'll see that Jesus is sitting here. It's the sixth hour, which means it's noon. So in the heat of the desert, in the middle of the day, this woman comes alone to gather water. Why is that strange? Well, in this particular societal context, when would you normally gather water? In the beginning of the day. Why is this woman coming later in the day by herself to gather water? Well, we learn... As the story goes on, as the story happens, that she has scheduled her life around her shame. She scheduled her life around her shame. She lives a, a, a sinful existence, and the, the culture that she is in, the town she lives in, they know it, they see it, and she is more comfortable coming in the middle of the desert heat to find her water rather than deal with the other women in the village knowing her sin and treating her in that way. 
She's gathering water at this time of day because she's been rejected from regular societal patterns. She's gathering water at this time of day because of her sin and her shame. And so we have this character. Who is she? She's a Samaritan. According to Jews, she's less than. She's a woman. According to men in the society, she's less than. She's a sinner. According to her town and, and, and the moral values they hold, she is less than. Everything about this scenario, this woman, is less than. Let's just take a moment and try to connect with this character who has no hope, no prospects, no friends, alone and lost for good. No reason to think things will change. Do we live like that? Do we allow our sin and our past, our present, to cause us to maneuver our lives around it? Maybe we think we'll never be forgiven for it. Maybe we like it too much. Are we changing our life to fit our sin? Are we forced to live a certain way because of our past or our present? Are we allowing others to pigeonhole us into an identity? On a a personal note, and maybe a, a way to think about others this way, what makes us impossible to save? What's the thing in our life that exists that makes us unreachable by salvation? Or let's talk about it from the the perspective of, of our confession of sin. Are we living like a Pharisee? What makes others impossible to save? Maybe we're more like the townspeople than we are this woman at the well. I've been reading a lot of Martin Lloyd-Jones recently, and he says about this scenario, he says this, with Christ infinite possibilities dwell in the most unlikely circumstances. I could never have written that. That's why I read it. It's just beautiful. Uh, Infinite possibilities dwell in the most unlikely circumstances. You want to talk about unlikely circumstances, this woman in this time and this place is the most unlikely circumstance for salvation. The most unlikely. And then what happens? Jesus interrupts that story. Jesus invades Her story, Jesus, the creator of infinite possibilities, shows up in her life. You see, the story isn't about this woman. It's not about a lost sinner. This story is about Jesus. That's what the story is in the Bible for, to teach us who Jesus is. God, in, in showing us this interaction with God in the flesh and this woman, is telling us about himself. And so Jesus enters the picture, and everything in this woman's life is about to grind to a halt. Jesus knew who would be there, he knew when they would be there, and he especially knew what that person had done. It's not a mystery, it's not an accident. Jesus waited, think about this, Jesus waited, he actively showed up in the hardest, most shameful part of her day, (laughs) and that's where he met her. He interrupted her life. And so we come to reason number one, why we share about Jesus Christ. We don't share about Jesus unless he's interrupted our life. Reason number one, we share about Jesus with others, Christian and non-Christian, because Jesus has interrupted our lives. Jesus halts the story we've been writing for ourselves. When Jesus shows up, he can't do anything else but interrupt it. 
Jesus interrupts our self-identity. He interrupts our self-centeredness. He interrupts our shame. And no matter what little hope we had, what sins we've committed, what shame has shaped our lives, Jesus meets us in that place on purpose. And so we share, first of all, because Jesus has showed up. (laughs) He's interrupted. He's invaded our story. How does he interrupt our story? Well, he does it the same way he does it here, and he starts with this woman. He interrupts by telling her the truth, by telling her the truth. So why do we share? We share because Jesus has interrupted our lives with the truth. Look at verses 28 and 29. So I chose these representative passages because the story is very long, but what happens is she's going to give her testimony. She's going to share her experience, and so we can use her testimony to understand what has happened before us. Look at, again, 28 and 29. The woman left her water jar, went away into the town, and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? That's her testimony. Everything I ever did. So Jesus, as we're gonna, we, we, we can see in the story as it's happened, Jesus, without shaming her, without condemning her, what is she talking about? He named her sins. There's this part of the story where Jesus says, give me some water, and, and they have this whole discussion. Um, and then Jesus, kind of out of the blue, very simple but thorough question, he says, bring your husband to me. <laughs> bring your husband to me. Let's chat with your husband. And what's her response? I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right, you don't. You've had five, and the one you live with right now is not your husband. You see the sin. Jesus is naming her sin. You, you've lived this life. We don't have reasons for it or why she felt like she needed to. She has lived with multiple men in her life. And at this point, she lives with a man as if he's her husband and he is not. Adultery. Jesus simply and thoroughly says, you're a sinner. She knew it. The town knew it. And Jesus is saying, I know it too. Now, let's take a, a moment just to talk about this. When we in this day and age hear, you're a sinner, what oftentimes are we hearing really? How do we interpret that? I think at times people who hear, you're a sinner, or, I'm a sinner, what they hear is, well, in my opinion, you're wrong. <laughs> in my opinion, you're wrong. And that's not what she hears. If, if when we hear that, in my opinion, you're wrong, we tend to be offended by that. We tend to be offended by that. What makes you the person who says that I'm wrong or right? But she's not offended. Why is she not offended? She, why, how has she received this in such a way that she doesn't say, excuse me, sir, this is my well, and who are you? Right? She doesn't say that. She receives this declaration of her sin not as a judgment, not as an accusation, but in loving concern. In a sense, what she hears from Jesus saying is, you are sick You are dying. You are in danger. In that same tone, that same loving, kind, gentle authority, Jesus says in that gentle, honest voice, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. She knows it. And he's declaring the truth. Let me ask us, what good is it to tell a sick person they're well when they're not? And especially if there's an antidote for their sickness. What good is that? What good is it to tell a dying person, just wait it out? when there's something that could be done and there is no hope in waiting it out. That's called lying. (laughs) That's a fraud. 
Jesus calls her in truth for her sin. It doesn't stop there. Now she gets, it seems uncomfortable. She starts changing the topic to religion as the narrative goes on. She starts talking about uh, the Temple Mount and all these things that are technical differences between Samaritans and Jews, talking about the Messiah. I don't know if she was talking about something that was a justification why she could never be forgiven or if she was ser- seriously uncomfortable with talking about her, her living situation so changed it to something else. But she changes the subject. She tries to change the subject. But in changing the subject, Jesus responds with the only good thing she could possibly hear in that moment. Talking about the Messiah and salvation, he declares to her, I am he. I am the savior of sinners. Do you see this? The two things in in conjunction. You are a sinner. I am the savior of sinners. Jesus is in a sense telling her, And saying that I am the Messiah, you are welcome at my well. You don't have to hide your life from me. You can't. (laughs) You You don't have to be dishonest about your life. And yet, by revealing her sin and still declaring himself as Messiah, he's saying to her, I'm still here with you. I'm invading your life on purpose. I'm spending these moments with you. I've shown up. I've met you on purpose to give you good news. This is the one-two punch of the gospel. (laughs) This is what the gospel entails. There is the bad and then the good. There's the awful, the realization of who we are, but then there's the delightful in knowing there's something to be done about it. There's the sorrowful news of our sin and the joyful news of salvation. That's the gospel. Allow me to put it in modern terms. Speaking about all of us, every single person on this planet, our souls are desperately sick. They're desperately sick. We cannot think without miscalculation. We can't do it. We can't feel without error. We can't operate, we can't live our lives in a healthy manner on our own. And the answer to that sickness, Jesus is the only physician that knows how to heal it. His treatment, this is the best news of all, is accessible and free. If we're honest, in the same way the Samaritan woman is honest, we all know deep down that the life that we live, the story we try to write, it's lackluster. It really doesn't cut it. (laughs) It doesn't cut it. The sins we commit, the vices we enjoy, the desires we have, they don't quench that deeper thirst. They don't do it, at least for long. So we can admit we are sinners, and we try to modify our lives around our shame. That's how human beings live. It's how we live. But when Jesus interrupts that thing with truth, all of it becomes useless. It becomes useless because, yes, we're sinners, but he is a kindly, gentle Savior of the same. And so, so far, we know that we share because our lives have been interrupted, and they've been interrupted with truth that we are sinners and he is our savior. And lastly, we share to connect others with that same interrupting truth. That's why we share. That's why we share about Jesus, to bring others into that invasion. 
I love the end of the story. The, the sharing goes in both directions. First, starting in verse 29 into verse 30, then to skip down to verse 39, the woman brings this message to the town. Look at this. She leaves in haste. First of all, 28, she leaves her water jar. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Verse 30, they went out of the town and were coming to him. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Let's let the weight of this scenario sink in. The same people that shunned her to the point that she went to get water in the middle of the day, these are the people that she shares the good news with first. (laughs) Many of us would be like, well, forget those people and go to the next town, right? No, she goes to those people first with eagerness. She leaves her water behind. And so the greatest sinner of this town, by their measurement, is the person who introduces them to Jesus. Praise God for that story. And I love that that her testimony is not about how five steps and how she changed her lifestyle. It's not, uh, listen, I, I don't live with that guy anymore. What is her testimony? He told me all that I ever did, period. John Calvin says this, we see that the woman kindled by a holy zeal does not spare herself or her reputation to magnify the name of Christ, for she does not scruple to relate the disgraceful passages of her life, if we only talk like that still. It's simple. What's her testimony? I am a sinner. I think I found the Savior. That's her testimony. That's it. That's it. I'm a sinner. I think I found the Savior. The town certainly agrees on point one, and so what do they do? They decide to investigate on point two. Church, we have to hear this this morning. If we are willing to sacrifice our reputation and share our excitement for our forgiveness, people will come to Christ. Let me say it again. If we're willing to sacrifice our reputation and share our excitement of forgiveness, people will come to know Jesus. So important to hear. We don't need an excellent story. We don't need to be a former gang member. We don't need that. It's not about our story. We don't need this this crazy deliverance from some crazy bondage in this story of victory. What do we need? We need our sin, and we need a Savior from it. That's our testimony. I love that it doesn't end there. There's this reciprocal sharing. The people of the town are also interrupted by Jesus. (laughs) Look at verses 40 through 42. So the woman has shared her testimony. Here is my sin. I think I found the Savior. The people go check it out. Verse 40, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. He stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Wow. Imagine, if you will, if you allow yourself, the encouragement of this woman who's been shunned, whose whole life, we don't know how long she lived in this way or how long she'd been excluded from normal things. The people come back to her to share with her what her sharing has done for them. She had been rejected. 
She had been rebuffed, and now she knows that Jesus, the Christ, has used her and her testimony to bring the rest of her town to salvation. We share Jesus to connect others, Christian or non-Christian, with the interrupting truth of Jesus. That's what we do. It's the same purpose. When we share with with non-believers, we're saying, I am a sinner, here's the Savior. When we're sharing with with other believers saying, hey, I'm a sinner, here's the Savior. I know he's the Savior. Next Sunday night, we have our Thanksgiving service, and this really is an opportunity, even tonight at your life group, if you have one tonight or later this week, it's an opportunity, what? To share how Jesus has interrupted your life. How has Jesus invaded your story? How has Jesus, with his kindness, his goodness, his grace, and his truth, set you on a different path? By the way, he's always adjusting that. (laughs) And so why do we share? We share because no person on the planet can hear it too often, the same testimony these people have given. We've heard it for ourselves, and we know that indeed he's the savior of the world. As we look to the Lord's Supper, and we understand, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, that as we participate in it, We proclaim, we share the Lord's death. We give a testimony of the Lord's death until he comes. And so in a sense, I want you to think of it this morning that the Lord's Supper is your testimony. It's your testimony. As we come forward and and take a piece of bread and take a cup and we eat and drink together, we're, we're declaring that Jesus has told us everything we've ever done. We are sinners. We're declaring it. We're declaring the only testimony we need. I am a sinner. We're also declaring that we have found the Savior, that he has found us. He met us in that place and has brought his free, accessible salvation to us. In his kind and gentle authority, he said to us, to me, to you, you're a sinner and I am your Savior. So this morning, who should eat? Those who confess that what Jesus has said is true. Those who profess that we believe we have found the Savior of sinners of whom we are counted. We've been baptized. We're invited to eat and to give that testimony. That's what we're doing. So this morning, if that is you, come with the enthusiasm of a person who's been forgiven who needs that forgiveness and who has been given that forgiveness and eat and drink and celebration. Paul also warns that whoever eats and drinks of the bread in an unworthy manner um, should be cautious of that. You drink judgment on yourself. What does that mean? Well, if you do not confess that you are a sinner... If you're resistant to that idea, maybe you live a life of sin now. Imagine the woman who didn't want to change. She would say, no, thank you. (laughs) If that's your response, you'd rather have that than Jesus. That would be a moment of not eating. Or you you have not recognized Jesus as your Savior. You've not made the step or, or responded to his call to say, 
I think I've found the Savior. In either one of those cases, this is not a testimony that you should give. And since you can't give that testimony, we call you not to do that by the Scriptures. Let's take a moment to pray, to consider. Christian, take a moment to celebrate your forgiveness. Put yourself in that place. Understand who you are and who Jesus is, and let the truth of that wash over you. I'll gather us back together with a prayer of blessing in just a moment. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are here this morning to worship you. We're here to worship you. We don't worship as a way to impress or to earn or to prove. We worship because you have told us everything we've ever done, and yet you have also told us that you are the Savior. And so in humility and in brokenness, and even in desperation, we come to the place to connect with you together. And there's no greater symbol than our worship together than eating and drinking of this bread and this cup as a family. And so, Lord, this morning, bless this time. May we have confidence, not in our own righteousness, as the Pharisee did in our confession of sin, but may we have confidence in who you are, enough confidence to beat our chest and admit I am a sinner and to beg God have mercy on me. But Lord, encourage us, cause us to rejoice in knowing that in Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return, we have all the righteousness, all the salvation we need in him and through him. All of that is packed into this little piece of bread this little cup of wine or juice, all of that celebration is here. And I pray that we would feel it, know it, experience it this morning. I pray for those who don't have that testimony of being a sinner and needing Jesus. I pray that you would meet them at their well. Go to them, Father, and find them in their place of difficulty and shame and show them your love. And may we be a part of that our testimony, bring people to yourself. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.